0: James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James.
1: And this is Jane.
0: And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane?
1: Oh, we're talking about some of my favorite topics. So uh, this is directly linked to the episode we recorded previously around responsible business. And this time we're talking about very specifically uh, the role of ownership and finance and how it influences business and their uh, efforts to be responsible.
0: Cool. Um, Before we get into the core of the episode, though, just want to say to everyone, don't forget, you can get in touch with us um, on Twitter at The Wild Podcast. You can email us at hello at worldofwork.io or check out the website www.worldofwork.io.
1: Yeah, uh, we really love hearing from people um, and engaging with people on social media who are also interested in the same things that we are. Um, and as always, a little bit of a nudge. If you're enjoying what we do, we would love you to go on to Apple and, uh, Podcasts and leave us a review. Yeah, that's right, guys. They're always
0: really helpful. Um, So we're going to do this episode with a usual structure when it's just for two of us. So we'll have some definitions, some research roundup. We'll have a list of a week where we explore some stuff, tell some stories uh, from our our sort of work experience and have a few final thoughts. Um, We're going to aim to hit that sort of 30 to 35 minute mark, which we're working towards now. Uh, So let's see if we can do it. Um, So I guess to kick us off, Jane, would you like to run through some definitions for today's episode?
1: Absolutely. Okay. So we've got four to crack through quickly. The first is stakeholder uh, and is covered in Investopedia. A stakeholder is a party that has an interest in a company and can either affect or be affected by the business. Primary stakeholders in a typical corporation are its investors, its employees, its customers, its suppliers, etc. However, the modern theory of the idea goes beyond this original notion to include additional stakeholders, such as the community within uh, which a business is based, government or a trade association. Uh, The second definition is ownership, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. And this is from Wikipedia, because actually Wikipedia sometimes has the most straightforward definitions. And it says ownership is the state or fact of exclusive rights and control over property, which may be an object, land or real estate or intellectual property. Ownership involves multiple rights collectively referred to as title, which may be separated and held by different parties. In other words, more people, lots of people, can have shared ownership of stuff. Um, third one is legal structure, and this is off of PwC's UK website. A legal structure defines the way a business is organised. It will determine the legal obligations for the you and your business. And finally, and this is uh, this is a, gone back to Investopedia. Finance is a broad term that describes activities associated with banking, leverage or debt, credit capital markets, money, and investments. Basically, finance represents money management and the process of acquiring needed funds. Now, the reason we've shared that finance definition for you is because it's really important to be clear that finance isn't just about money management, it's also about the process of acquiring the needed funds for an organisation. Cool. Thanks, Jane. No worries. Those are the four uh, definitions. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think they're good. I think they're interesting. And I think hopefully they'll be helpful for our listeners as we get into the episode.
1: So that's our four definitions for you for this episode. James, do you want to take it away with the research roundup?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So we're going to do something maybe slightly different in terms of what we do this week. Uh, We're going to start off by asking a question, why do we care? right? So why do we care about legal structures? Why do we care about finance and and stakeholders within organizations? And fundamentally, we care from a responsible business perspective, because um, while we think that responsible businesses work to the benefits of all their stakeholders, their communities and their environments, their ability to behave in responsible ways is to some extent shaped by the influence and the desires of the various stakeholders that exist within those organizations. Um, And this comes down to influence and it comes down to power. And when we think about influence and power within organizations, uh, we think that there probably are two really big sources of this. One is the finance that exists within organizations. So about a mixture of, uh, to some extent, the ownership of organizations and the actual funding that's provided to them. Um, and also the sort of legal frameworks that they operate within, that governance structures, um, and, and that sort of legality that shapes what they can and cannot do. Um, there are, of course, many other routes towards influence as well and types of influence. So individuals will have positional power within the management of organizations. You'll have personal power through perhaps charismatic uh, leaders or individuals. There are uh, lobbying groups that will you know, petition organizations. There's consumer power. There are lots of other sources of influence. But fundamentally, we think that the, the legal side of things, the legal structure and, and the finance of organizations are two of the biggest Um, And under different, I guess, legal structures and under different sources of finance, under the different permutations you can get in your legal and finance structuring, um, you'll get different models of of doing things, different ways of doing things and different ways of working that will result in different stakeholders having different levels of influence and organizations fundamentally behaving in different ways. And, And that can lead to them being more or less responsible. So generally, we think that the more concentrated ownership is, the more it an organisation will act in the interest of those specific owners. Um, and likewise, the more power that any one group of stakeholders has, the more they'll be able to use that power and influence towards their own objectives, be those responsible or otherwise. And if we think of the stakeholders that exist within organisations, I'll just rattle through some of the main stakeholders that are there. Um, just so we're in mind of of who they are. So organizations can have suppliers, they can have customers, they can have the communities that they work within, they can have the employees that work for them, they can have uh, the investors who own them, they can have government and other regulatory bodies that set the, I guess, uh, legal ecosystems that they work within. Uh, You've got the financers who provide them with the cash or or I guess the working capital to do what they need to do. And then you've got the leaders of the organizations as well. And generally speaking, Uh, you know, stakeholders will kind of pursue their own interests, subject to the power and influence of the other stakeholders within the organisation. So today's focus is going to be on learning a little bit more about those legal structures and finances and and how those can affect stakeholder power within organisations and consequently how that can affect what organisations actually do and, and whether they are responsible or not. So, Jen, have you got any initial thoughts on stakeholders or why we care?
1: Yeah, I think for me, there's a couple of really important things here. One is about um, when you work for an organization, really thinking about understanding who is setting the direction of that organization. And so I think understanding where the finance comes from, it matters. And I think the legality, the legal structure. And I think the other thing is we, it's just, it's information I think we should have as citizens to understand the organizations that populate our environment.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, I think to be an informed citizen or an informed employee, you need this stuff. I'm going to run on now and speak a little bit to some thoughts on legal structures and and the legality of organisations. And just as a disclaimer, neither of us are experts in this. Uh, So we're just going to do a a bit of a chat and uh, hopefully provide a starter for people who want to maybe learn a little bit more about the legal structures and and what they mean for organisations. And what I'm going to run through is I'm going to run through basically three types of organizations, three ways that organizations can be brought together from a legal perspective and, and what those mean. And they've all got slightly different meanings. Um, and I guess there's one overarching thing that's worth pointing out at the start of this before we get into the different types. And, and that is that um, it's possible for individuals to behave on their own terms and to be accountable for their own actions and to essentially be a business in themselves. So there's no distinction from the business and, and, and an individual. Um, But it's also possible to have uh, what's known as incorporation, which really just means the creating of a body. And and that incorporation then creates a separate legal entity, which is different from any individual, right? So you get organizations that are individuals or collections of individuals, or you get organizations that are separate legal entities. And that's an important concept that you might want to reflect on a little bit more. Um, And we'll not go into it too much at all today. So if we run through the different types, I guess, of legal structures that you can have, Um, we'll explore a little bit more what comes with those and and what way those those look. So I guess if we start, you can have individuals. And this, as I said, is an individual doing business kind of on their own. So in the UK, these are known as uh, sole traders generally. In the US, they might be something like a sole proprietorship. And this just means that the individual controls their businesses. Uh, they'll have stakeholders like suppliers and customers. They'll have stakeholders maybe like banks lending them money, but fundamentally they can do what they, they want. So if they want to be responsible, they're the ones with the most power and influence generally um, in those businesses, so they can do so. Next, you have the coming together of individuals into groups of individuals. And, and from a legal perspective, this is normally known as a partnership. going can be like a general partnership or a, a limited partnership. And what happens with partnerships is that you get groups of individuals coming together are creating a partnership agreement that says we're all still private individuals, but we would like to work together and reach an agreement amongst ourselves for our responsibilities and our accountabilities and, and what this collection of individuals is going to do. So partnerships are fairly common in lots of industries like um, the legal and accounting professions, and they benefit from um, being less to some extent controlled and regulated than private companies. Um, And that's part of the reason they've come about. It's worth noting that you can also have limited liability partnerships or in in the US, you can also have LLCs, which are limited liability um, companies, I believe, although I could be wrong on that, that that fit loosely into this arena as well. And limited liability partnerships are slightly different in that they, as the name says, limit the liability of any one partner within an organisation. Um, But fundamentally, the point is that within a partnership, it's a collection of individuals, they set their own rules. And from a responsibility perspective, um, they're the ones who tend to have a lot of influence. And if they want to be responsible, great. Um, Next, if we move on, we we move on to this set of separate legal entities, uh, actual companies. So here you can get things like a limited company in the UK, which is maybe known as a corporation in the US. And what happens here is that this is the incorporation of a separate legal entity that's designed to run, I guess, a venture. And here you separate out the ownership from the management um, and you create this legal entity that people can own parts of. So here you can own part of a corporation by buying shares in it. um, And that gives you that part ownership over a corporation. Um, Companies that are set up like this are generally accountable to their shareholders. So they employ managers like a chief executive who's basically the manager of a company. um, And those managers are... Uh, beholden to the shareholders to do basically what the shareholders want in terms of their uh, ability to to drive the business forward. Now, in this situation, the shareholders may want responsible business or they may want uh, something else. Um, but fundamentally, the, the uh, obligation of the executive and, and the management team leading a company is to um, serve the needs of their shareholders. And within the separate legal entity, uh, category of organisations, you get a whole range of them um, and they're defined or, or shaped by their uh, things like memorandum or articles of incorporation that define what they are and how they work. So you can get some of them that legally within their legal structures are obliged to be uh, maybe more responsible than, than others. So you can get things like social enterprises, community interest companies, uh, things like B corporations. And, and these are separate legal entities who are incorporated in, in such a way that they take on some sort of social obligation towards responsibility. You can also get um, charities, um, charitable incorporated organizations, nonprofit corporations in the US. Um, and again, these are legal entities that have a specific set of rules around regulation and funding and a, a, are designed to act in certain ways. Um, and you also get some other different types of entities like cooperatives, which are coming together as a, of groups of members. Um, to provide perhaps a service more than a set of financial returns. Um, And you also get things that are maybe a bit newer, things like community benefit societies in the UK, which is kind of like a community uh, organisation with a slightly different set of rules around ownership and, and restrictions on what it can do and how it can raise funds. But the key message here is that there are different legal ways in which you can set up a business. And depending on how you set up these businesses, um, there are different levels of influence and control within the different stakeholders there. And these different levels of influence affect the ability of an organisation to be responsible should it wish to do so. Uh, so hopefully that's just a little introduction. Uh, Jane, what are your thoughts on this? I know you're closer to the charitable space
1: maybe than some others, but what do you think? Um, I I think it's a really great summary of the different types of organisations from in terms of who organises like who's involved in the organisation at the top level. And I think we probably, similar to what we're about, about why we should care, I think we should probably spend a little bit more time reflecting on, uh, particularly within the charitable and non-profit sector, which are not the same thing. So you've mentioned brilliantly social enterprises, things like CICs, cooperatives, all of that. Um, whose interest is that organisation trying to serve and who ultimately is responsible for that organization and in what way and what does the law say about how responsible they are because that will tell you a lot about uh the actions of an organization to me anyway
0: yeah i think that's right you know going back to that point of being informed about who sits behind the organizations that we work for and work with is a really important um piece um what i'd like to do now is just run on quickly and, and talk a little bit about how organizations are uh financed or funded or, or how they get their money. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. How do they get the money to let them do what they want to do? Um, and for our purposes here, there are basically three big ways in which organizations can get money. And we talk about them as transfers, as debt and as equity. Right. So let's let's just run through them and explore a few little bits within them and some of the implications within them. So transfers basically means somebody gives you something. So you can receive a grant, maybe from a state or, uh, you know, a, a different funder that could have obligations with it. But basically, it's, it's a gift of money, sometimes conditionally. Again, you can get donations, which are basically the same thing, a gift, sometimes conditionally. Um, and so those are transfers. Then you get into debt. And when you think about an organization receiving debt, what it's doing is it's saying, I will borrow money from you with an obligation to repay it. And there are lots of different ways that this can happen. So you can have Uh, unsecured debt, which means um, I'll borrow money from you and you don't have a claim on any of my assets if I can't pay you back. You can get secured debt or secured loans, which are like a mortgage. You'll give me money. And if I don't pay you back, you can take my house. Um, You can get uh, bonds, which are basically borrowing at a large scale for large organizations. And you get slightly different things like community bonds for community status. But fundamentally what happens with debt is you are borrowing from somebody and they will be repaid a rate of interest based on a range of factors, and they'll have maybe some conditionality over what you can do. But it, it's a borrowing. So they don't own you as a company at all. So they'll have influence, but they won't have ownership of your organization. Then you get into equity. Um, and equity is really a way to raise money by selling part of your business. right? So remember, under debt, you're just borrowing. So nobody is taking any ownership in your business. You're just promising to pay them money and you keep all the business and you need to make enough money to pay them back. Uh, to service the debt, as I say. Whereas under equity, what you're doing is you're saying, well, I don't want to borrow money. What I want to do is I want to sell you a little bit of my business, basically. And then I'll give you some some share of a profit in the future. And there are different ways that you can do this, right? So some organizations now do it through crowdfunding. So you can go to platforms like Kickstarter or Cedars or other ones and raise little bits of funding from lots of people. Or you can go out to what are known as angel investors. And these tend to be wealthy individuals who will invest in really small early companies, maybe for high percentage ownership stakes, looking for a larger return and taking on a fair bit of risk, or you'll get venture capital and venture capital. What venture capital will do is again, they're buying into smaller organizations that are growing or growing organizations that are privately held. And they'll often chuck a lot of money into them and say, right, we're going to help you grow and become a serious big business. Um, And then you get things like private equity. So private equity is when, Uh, you get a group of individuals uh, set up as an organization who will buy up ownership stakes, sometimes 100% ownership stakes in companies, with a view to turning them around and changing them and driving them for for, uh, financial return. Um, And then I guess almost lastly, you can get public listing. So with a public listing, what you do is you basically say, I'm going to sell part of my company to the general public. I'm going to go under a stock exchange and make 20%, 50 30% of our whole organization available to the public and they'll be able to buy these little chunks of it, these little bits known as stocks or shares and buy and sell them amongst each other, amongst um, uh, amongst a group of market makers that help provide that uh, ability to sell those shares to each other. Um, And so within that sort of equity ownership, again, you get different types of uh, tendency towards responsibility. So, for example, maybe private equity is driven towards a certain type of financial return, because that's exactly why. Um, they've bought a company, whereas with a public listing, maybe the public might own a company and want it to behave in an ethical way. So you might buy a local um, uh, investment in a uh, utility company in your area, and as well as wanting that utility company to provide maybe your water, you'd also like them to maintain the integrity of your local waterways and the environmental surroundings that, that you live within. So I just want to call out that Um, The the different people who own organisations through uh, their approaches to equity, the different people that provide funding through debt um, lead to different uh, incentives and different uh, predispositions to responsibility within businesses. So there we go. A a little introduction to, I guess, finance to some extent. Jane, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think um, I think the, the key takeaway from that is really getting to grips with the difference between transfers, debt and equity and trying to reflect on. What does that mean for the decisions that are made in the organization and by whom? Because ultimately finance is like an invisible owner in some senses. you might not be listed in the uh, on company's house if you're in the UK for example, but there's still an interest in the organization and there is someone who will have to make decisions based on acknowledging that interest in the organization.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And a lot of things like debt will attract, you know, what are known as covenants from banks that mean you need to act in certain ways. So even though they don't own it, there can be a huge amount of influence in relation to them. Um, So that's really kind of the end of our our research roundup. Again, just to recap, we just wanted to to show that there are different levers that lead to influence in organisations. And that some of the the most powerful ones there are the legal structures that organisations adopt and and how they're uh, legally created as well as the way that they get the money to do what they do. Um, And to some extent, by changing the legal structures or changing the ways that organisations access the finance they need to to run their businesses, you can change their um, levels of uh, influence by different stakeholders. And through that, you have an effect on the ability of organisations to behave in a responsible way. Um, Under some of these finance and legal models, it's harder for leaders of organisations to behave responsibly than it is under other ways. Um, So that was our research uh, roundup for this episode. Jen, would you like to take us into a list of a week?
1: Yeah, uh, happy to. So this week we thought it'd be really useful to pull together some interesting organisations that help us think about things like uh, organisational structure. And so uh, James has kindly uh, squirrelled away on the internet and also had a think about some of the organisations we think are really interesting. So we have John Lewis, based in the UK. They are an employee owned organization. They refer to themselves as a partnership, but uh, it, they also uh, are part of the John Lewis partnership, which includes Waitrose, which is a major supermarket over here. Uh, and they have a very interesting history in this country. Uh, Ocean Spray, which is a US based organization. Uh, I believe they make juices and the like and uh i remember briefly living in america and and drinking an awful lot of ocean spray and they are a cooperative organization the third on the list is the infamous we work if you have been following business news recently uh you will have seen them crop up a lot and if you live in a major city you might have seen their offices open a lot and they are a usa based organization um and they're a really interesting one because uh, the story goes that in August nineteen, they were valued at forty seven billion dollars. Uh, by the end of September, they were valued about ten billion, which is less than it had even raised in capital. And there's huge interest in the way that we work, were raised its money, uh, what it was doing, how it was owned, and who had influence over the people running the organization from that financial ownership. And then we have Mars, good old Mars chocolate and confectionery. And they are a family owned company, which until I saw this list, I did not know. And I had to check with James, which I think is brilliant. And uh, the final one on the list is an organization called Cook. They are a B core, as well as being a uh, limited company. And a B core means that they are have other interests rather than just financial and we're gonna cover that more in an episode where we actually interview uh, one of the chairman. So that's one to look out for. James, thoughts on the those five very different organizations?
0: Well, I think it's great to see such a variety of organizations from both the, I guess, legal frameworks that they use, but also the financing that sits behind them, right? So, you know, Mars, they own all their equity. Um, we uh, WeWork were raising lots of venture capital and, and driving a big valuation there. Ocean Spray we're at cooperatives. John Lewis is employee owned. I mean, the variety in that is great. Um, and it's also great to see some of the difference in outcomes. So I, I just think the variety within organizational structures, particularly in the semi corporate world, is fantastic. Um I have a WeWork story. I mean, I, I could do a whole episode on that easily. Um, we thought about speaking about some of these other organizations like Theranos and, and some other organizations. Um, VC-backed organisations, but of a uh, rocky ride. Um, and I guess lastly, I'm really looking forward to the episode on Cook. I think a lot of the work that B Corps are doing around trying to uh, broaden out the responsibilities of organisations is cool, so I'm um, looking forward to that one.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Theranos is, uh, if you're interested in this stuff, then just Google Theranos and uh, you'll be able to unpick a, a, an incredible story. And I, you, you know the thing about B Corps is really interesting um, because I have to say that I uh, wasn't sure about that episode and the concept of Be Cause, but I've come out a bit of a believer. And what I think has formulated that is the fact that it's about embedding the uh, responsibilities of the organisation within the structure, so within the governing structural, structural documents of the uh, organisation. And I think uh, it that goes to demonstrate how important... It is to understand ownership, where the money's coming from, and therefore how that plays into the operations of an organization.
0: That's right. And so, so B corporations can do some of that actual structuring to, to create a, a legal and governance structure that's helpful, um, but it's still hard to raise funds, right? So, that raising funds for purpose driven, um, sustainable, or responsible businesses is hard. Um, so, really interesting.
1: Yeah. And actually, that's a really good point. We haven't even discussed the flip side that you've just mentioned, which is not just where do you get your money from, but uh, who's prepared to give you money depending on your attitude to responsible business. Yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Um,
0: so Jane, have you got any thoughts um, from, I guess, your work or, or uh, you know, tell us from a keyboard in relation to this that you think would be worth sharing?
1: Yeah, probably the thing I'd share is my first experience of uh, the role funders play in charitable organizations. Uh, and non-profit organizations. So I really went into sports at an operational level, right? Very much embedded in how competitions worked, how sports was organized, stuff like that. And I remember we did a project and it was about use of IT and managing competitions. Um, And it was kind of, we were getting some investment and... It was, I was asked to justify, I was asked to like write a business case effectively, like a one pager saying like, why do we want to do this? And, and what's the benefit and why should the money spent to it? And when I was chatting it through with uh, my first stroke second manager, um, I remember chatting it through and I was like, what do I put in this? And he was like, well, you need to think about the different stakeholders. Right. And I was like, I, I didn't understand. I was like, what? Tennis players. Cause it was when I went out to tennis And he was like, no, all the people are going to care about how this money is spent and whether it's a good spend of money. So that's the people who give us money, our members, which are the tennis players. But it's also the clubs who pay affiliation. It's also the board members who are responsible for making sure the business is run properly. It's the senior executive staff who uh, are responsible for making sure it's operationally running and the board's strategy. And then it's the, the, the public sector organizations and indeed the other investors like major championships who uh, pay sanction fees and affiliate. And I was like, whoa, I've got to convince all those people. And he was like, well, to differing degrees, and it's not all the same, but yeah, you need to have a reason and you need to be able to articulate that really well. And you should be able to articulate it proportionate to the percentage of uh, like money that it's theirs. So if it's a small amount of money relative to the organization, you need to be able to explain it in one sentence if the CEO ever asks you why you want the money. And I, it just blew my mind, right? Like, uh, my first job, it just totally blew my mind. The idea that I had to think about all these things was frightening. So that's my story.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's a nice story. And it, it brings to life uh, stakeholders and the level of influence they have and in, in your responsibility as an organization to serve the needs of your stakeholders and, and to um, be responsible if they wish. And I guess not if they, they wish otherwise. Um. My reflection is actually really quite similar, and it's on the role of chief executives. And in my old job, I worked obviously in in a large international bank. Um, And, you know, you're there. And and at least when you start, you always think of a chief executive as being really the leader and the one driving and controlling the organization and making the decisions and steering it. And then after a little while, you start to realize that, yes, he does that stuff internally. But a huge amount of the time spent by a chief uh, executive of a large organization is speaking to investors, speaking to your institutional investors, speaking to the people that are lending you money, speaking to the people that are buying your organization and trying to understand what they want and trying to um, make them happy and trying to to work on um, doing what you can to, to help them achieve their goals. And so it kind of comes to be that while chief executives are masters of their own organizations internally, they're really very much um, middle men or middle women in their interactions with the wider world and their stakeholders. And and I think that, you know, seeing that just paints a really interesting picture of um, what their roles are and and the roles that finance and legal structure play in the influence of organisations and their ability to be uh, responsible or not. I mean, fundamentally, you you have to do what your stakeholders want. Um, And I guess that's what it comes down to, is where the power sits, is where the decision making sits in relation to organisations. Um,
1: But how important is that? Right. So what you just said, I know, I know, you know, this whole episode is about understanding who influences what, but how important and how sort of revealing is that when you first learn, when you're in an organization, you first realize the CEO is ultimately not alone in driving it. And in a good organization is supported and challenged by the board, but also that there's this just raft of people they have to keep happy. That's always the term, right? We need to keep them happy. Yeah. Keep them yeah, happy really enough.
0: Intermediary, right? I mean, they're a conduit between the wishes of somebody else. They're professional managers managing on behalf of the people that appoint them. Oh, um, can you imagine
1: what? Can you imagine what that must be like? It must be a real challenge because, effectively, I don't know. It, people have that perception—a different, very different perception, I think. And I think mm-hmm. it may, that makes it harder in some ways because you know you can't. If you're a CEO, you can't really complain about it, right? Oh well, yeah, yeah. You're not expected and, and think, to say, "Hey, I I just feel like the middleman right now."
0: Yeah, woe is me. And, <laughs> but I think all that, I think all that all goes back to the legal structures. And if your legal framework is incorporating something like a B corporation, then then it'll make it easier for you as a chief executive to behave responsibility uh, responsibly, should you wish to. And likewise, if you're a chief executive, also happens to own the business, then you can do what you want. So again, you know, have a legal frameworks that you're within and the finance that um, builds your organization's ability to work are, are huge factors in this yeah so
1: we usually try and squeeze out a little top tip oh yeah i've definitely got one i'd like to share which is probably what i said at the beginning okay cool so um my plea is if you are taking a job um or a board position or something similar please 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 can you spend some time researching the organization their funding, their structure, before you decide whether you want to join them. And when you do join them, join them knowing what that funding and that structure is, because it will materially influence your experience of work.
0: Yeah, that makes makes sense. That's a good call out. Um, I guess I do have one. And it's, I think it's applicable for this episode, but it's also applicable for, I guess, a lot of life. And, you know, we spoke a lot in this episode about influence and power and, and things like that. And about the fact that different stakeholders are trying to achieve their own objectives right, to some extent. And I guess my final thought, I guess, is that really it's important when you are thinking about things that people say and, and the opinions that people share, whoever they are, that you step back and think about what their underlying incentives are. You know, what's their position, which camp of influence are they in, which stakeholders are they aligned to? What are the outcomes that they want? Because probably an understanding of their outcomes will give you an insight into why they say what they say um so yeah i guess that's my final thought for us today great stuff all right well thanks everyone until next time
1: it's bye from me
0: and it's bye from me hi thanks for listening to this episode of the world of work podcast To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us, if you wish, through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.